privilege of introducing you to our special speaker today, Brother Brian Burke. Pastor Brian has been actively involved in the inner healing and freedom ministry for the last 13 years. Brian is ordained pastor in the Wesleyan Church and is a graduate of both Indiana Wesleyan University and Wheaton College Graduate School. Brian, his wife Kara, and their daughter served as career missionary in Russia for the last 12 years. They were actively involved in the work of evangelism, church planting, theological education, and launched and provided uh, ongoing leadership uh, to the Well Springs Ministry. Beginning in 2013, Brian has been serving full-time in the Well Springs Ministry, first as the uh, vice president, uh, uh, president and currently as the president. Let me also say that I, together with my wife, Simone, have been up to Rock Island to visit the Well Springs Ministry three or four times over this last year for physical healing as well as inner healing. And never once, never once, does we go home disappointed. Brian is his team has been with us for the last three days. And I can tell you that our church would never be the same and would never be the same. My wife and I both consider Brian to be a mentor, a brother, and a friend. And we are so glad to have him share what is on his heart today. Let's all show Brian uh, 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 honor and respect as Brian has come to share the word with us. Reverend Brian Burke. Well, good morning, church. It was a great joy for us to be down there worshiping with you this morning. God's spirit is here, amen. And I am learning over the last three to four days that Kankakee First Church is a praying church. Jesus said in the Gospels, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and I truly believe that this church is a house of prayer. And since Thursday, we have been watching God move mightily. He has literally been moving mountains out of people's lives bringing healing to depression, to fear, to anxiety, to various struggles and bondages in their lives. And I'm excited for you to begin hearing the testimonies of those who have been uh, set free starting next week. But I want to take a moment to personally thank a few people in your church, and I want to start with Pastor Andrew and Simone, Pastor Cindy, Pastor Josh. They have done an amazing job of hosting us this weekend, so we, can we just thank them as well? I also want to thank Sean. Sean is a behind-the-scenes worker all weekend long, the last four days. He has been here early in the morning. In case you haven't noticed, it's bitterly cold outside. He has gotten here early in the morning to turn up the heat so we could all be warm inside. So can we thank you? Thank you, Sean. And to the Cook family, the Newsham family, for opening your homes to us, thank you. You have been incredibly hospitable. 
to all the breakthrough team members in your church who took two days out of your schedules, Friday and Saturday, to attend our training. Thank you for sacrificing time away from work, away from family, away from many other things you can be doing to spend that time with us. So could we thank them as well? And finally, to our team of nine people who have come from the Quad Cities the last four days, you guys have been amazing. They have been serving from early in the morning to late at night, so thank you. One thing I've learned over the years as a pastor is that pastors can never get enough encouragement. We always need it. And I just want to take a moment to encourage and affirm Pastor Andrew and Simone. You have led courageously. You have faced much adversity, but you have led with faith. Thank you for pushing through, for persevering. I know that God will honor and bless, and I believe, and we continue to pray for complete restoration of Andrew's health. Amen. And I am honored to bring the word to you this morning. I recognize we're in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare, and I don't like to ever talk about this topic without first praying for us. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, you are so good to us. And your spirit is here, already revealing more of yourself to us. Lord, over the years, I've been in many churches, and I've recognized this whole concept of spiritual warfare can stir up feelings of fear and anxiety inside of us. But in your word, you tell us in Psalm 23, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so today, we are not afraid. Because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come as the counselor today to lead and guide us into all truth. I pray, as Paul the Apostle prayed, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened this morning. Holy Spirit, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better. Help us to know the hope to which you've called us, the glorious inheritance that awaits us, and your incomparably great power for those who believe. Open our eyes and let us see, Holy Spirit. Open our ears today, allow us to hear, and open our hearts to receive your word. Lord Jesus, would you just push out all the distractions of this day, all the chaos of our lives, and allow us to fix our eyes on Jesus this morning, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you in advance for speaking to our hearts. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Around four years ago, a young Middle Eastern man flew all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to our healing center in Rock Island, Illinois, to Wellsprings of Freedom International, with a missionary friend of mine. My missionary friend had been mentoring and discipling this young Middle Eastern man, but had encountered a number of unique challenges in their discipleship and their one-on-one -on -one meetings together. This man was one of only 400 known evangelical Christians in his country. And he had suffered greatly for his faith. He was physically beaten by his father. When his father found out, he had become a Christian. His Bible and other Christian books 
were thrown away by his own family. He had lost several jobs because of his faith. He had been denied rent of apartments simply because he was a Christian. He had been investigated by the secret police in his country. And he had also been hurt deeply by North American missionaries who had previously served in his country. All this suffering and pain had taken its toll on this young Middle Eastern man over the years. You see, he loved Jesus, but he was a very angry man inside, filled with rage and bitterness and resentment, filled with feelings of hopelessness and despair. The spiritual oppression in his life was so intense that evil spirits would regularly manifest in him through him. They would change the tone of his voice and make him become physically aggressive, even when my missionary friend would be meeting, studying the word of God together with him. And my missionary friend didn't know what to do, and so he called us. And they decided the situation was so desire, my missionary friend had such a desire to bring freedom to this young Middle Eastern Christian that they brought him to the United States for freedom. Because they didn't have one of our teams in their country. And so through a series of prayer sessions with this young Middle Eastern man that week, I can tell you with all sincerity that he was radically set free from these spiritual strongholds in his life. His chains were broken, and he experienced deep healing from deep wounds in his past from many, many different people over the course of his life. The transformation in his life was so dramatic that when he returned home to his family, his mom asked him if he was taking drugs or seeing a counselor. Surprised by this, This young Middle Eastern friend asked his mom why she would say such a thing. And her response was this. You've been so different lately. You have difficulties, but now you don't get angry. You have peace. You're now nice to us again. His newfound freedom also empowered him to become a more effective witness for Christ in his own culture. In fact, one month after he returned home to his country, he led a co-worker to faith in Jesus Christ. And a month after that, this co-worker who became a new believer then led his wife to faith in Jesus. You see, this young Middle Eastern man's story is a powerful testimony that there is no chain that Jesus can't break, amen? There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no wound that cannot be healed. There is nothing in our past that God cannot redeem. And you know what else? There is no spiritual attack or oppression we can face that cannot be overcome. That's the good news I want to share with you this morning. Because it's no secret to you and I that as we walk through life, we get hurt, don't we? We are wounded by those around us and we all bear the scars emotionally, mentally, and in some cases physically. We lose parents and loved ones to sickness and disease sometimes to tragedy. We can experience trauma in various forms, like the young man I recently ministered to who had been 
nearly killed in two traumatic car accidents before the age of 21. Our parents may split up and divorce. A parent may leave or abandon the family. And we hear these heartbreaking stories every week. We may be abused physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually, spiritually. Some of you have been hurt by the church. We can be hurt by the harsh words that have been spoken to us, especially when we're young. Those words lodge in our hearts and minds and begin to define us. We may be betrayed, stabbed in the back, rejected by a close friend. And sometimes we can make really poor, hurtful choices that hurt us and hurt others around us, can't we? The pain we experience in this life is real. Our lives testify to that. The brokenness is real. And in our humanness and our frailty and in our weakness, we are left open and vulnerable to spiritual attack. But the scriptures tell us in 1 Peter 5, 8, to beware. For we have an enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Peter tells us to stand firm, to resist him. Satan and his demonic forces are as active as ever in our world, aren't they? It's undeniable. And Satan is an intelligent being. He is crafty and cunning. He is malicious in his intent. Like a lion waiting for prey, Peter says, he is poised to pounce. And he waits for the most opportune times to strike. When we're tired and we're weak and we're vulnerable. He is no respecter of persons and will even attack young children and the elderly and will stop at nothing to destroy God's children. You see, Satan, our enemy, Scripture tells us, works in partnership with, a, with the world and its beliefs and its values and its systems. And he also works in partnership with the flesh inside of us to lead us away from the one true God. He plays on our pain and he feeds on our wounds and on our weaknesses. He lies. He deceives. He tempts and seduces us into sin, doesn't he? And he seizes the opportunity to increase our pain and suffering at every turn. According to God's word, I see that Satan attacks us and he attacks our humanness in at least three of the following ways. In the areas of temptation accusation, and in our reactions to life's hurts. And so I want to go a little deeper with you this morning into all three areas of our humanness that Satan seeks to exploit. Let's start with the topic of temptation. We've all experienced it. In fact, ever since the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, if we can get the next scripture up, it says that the serpent who was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that the Lord God had made, has been tempting human beings ever since. In 1 Thessalonians 3.5, we see that Satan is called the tempter. It's one of the names given to him in Scripture. 
His voice is subtle, and his temptations are enticing to us. Satan and his demonic cohorts work in conjunction with the flesh. This inclination towards evil inside each and every one of us. This propensity to sin, to intensify temptation, and the desire to sin. He arouses and he appeals to the carnal desires inside of us. Satan is a master manipulator. In fact, he shows us the bait doesn't show us the hook. He dangles the carrot in front of our eyes and urges us to take just one bite. And he offers us short-term pleasure, but hides from us the long-term consequences of our sin. Doesn't he? Because he's crafty. His whispers and his suggestions slowly lure us into darkness so that we can no longer see the light. His temptations are nothing but distractions, folks. That's all they are. To sideline us. To cause us to veer off the straight and narrow path that Jesus Christ has set before us. Amen? We see a clear example of the reality, the spiritual reality of temptation and how the enemy works behind it in Matthew chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with the story of the temptation of Jesus in the desert. When the tempter came to Jesus when he was tired, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, the tempter comes to Jesus and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread, Jesus. If you're really God's Son, if you really are, surely God wouldn't want you to go hungry. Why not provide food for yourself? You have the power. Show the world who you are right now, Jesus. Prove yourself. The temptations didn't stop there. The tempter came back with a second temptation. He led Jesus up to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. And he said, if you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down from there. Because after all, Jesus, it's written in your Father's word, all the way back in Psalm 91, that he will send his angels to rescue you to guard you carefully in all of your ways. So in this second temptation, we see that Jesus even misuses and misquotes Scripture to try to tempt Jesus into sin. Satan will stop at nothing to tempt us and to lead us into sin. He'll even try to use God's word against us, won't he? Just like he did with Jesus. And in the third temptation, he comes to Jesus, leads him up, to the highest point of a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of this world and says, all this I will give you, Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me. The devil offers Jesus a shortcut. Satan says, you know, Jesus, you can bypass the intense suffering that awaits you on this earth. If you will just bow down and worship me, I can provide an easy way out for you. Three different temptations 
that attack the very core of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And what I find most interesting about this story is that these temptations hit Jesus immediately after his identity as God's Son is affirmed at his baptism at the end of Matthew chapter 3 when the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven comes saying, This is my beloved Son, my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And right away, immediately following, the devil comes in and tries to tempt him into sin. You see how Satan works? He's a tempter. But Jesus chose to obey the Father's will and submit himself to the Father's ways and the Father's timing. Instead of following the way of the tempter, Jesus humbly embraced the way of the cross. There were no shortcuts. Just as Jesus found himself being tempted in the desert and desert in his weakest and most vulnerable moments, so will we. We all experience temptation at critical moments of decision in our lives, don't we? And Satan knows just when to strike. And he will use temptation to try and thwart and stop God's purposes for your life. So we need to be wise to his schemes. Temptation is one of the areas of our humanness where Satan incites us to rebel against God. But there's a second area of humanness, and that's in the area of accusation. You see, if, if and when Satan can convince us to give in to the temptations and fall into sin, he does not stop there. He continues his assault against the believer. He now switches roles and becomes the accuser in our lives. His strategy is to make the Christian feel doubly defeated now. He's already led you into sin, and now he goes to work to kick you while you're down on the ground. And so he attacks us from both sides, through both temptation and now accusation. And if the goal of temptation were to get us to have too high a view of ourselves and to cause us to live independently of God, then the goal of accusation is to cause us to live, have too low a view of ourselves, to hate ourselves, and to overwhelm us with feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation for the things that we've done. Satan's name in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament literally means adversary, accuser, or slanderer. We see this in Zechariah chapter 3, which I believe we have on the screen, where it says the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Jeshua, the high priest. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Satan, yes, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebukes you. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the devil is called the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. The accusations are nonstop, aren't they? We've all heard them in our minds. Accuser is who Satan is, it's what he does in our lives. Consider this, before we sin, Satan whispers to us, no one will ever find out. 
But then when we sin, he shouts at us, wait until other people find out. You see that? Like a prosecuting attorney, Satan is always standing there, reminding us of past failures and mistakes, always dredging up the past. He seeks every opportunity he can get to walk into God's courtroom and to lay a charge against you and me because he's an accuser. His goal is to tie us up with heavy loads of guilt and condemnation. And you know how he accomplishes this? By causing us to look more at our sin than at our Savior. By causing us to look more at our sin than at our Savior. This ultimately leads us on a downward spiral, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, into a deep, dark pit of despair and depression and hopelessness. The sad reality is that in the church, and I've been in many of them, most Christians have not been trained to distinguish the conviction of the Holy Spirit from the condemnation of the enemy. Amen? You see, these are two different voices that speak into our minds each and every day. When the Spirit of God convicts us, it's always done in love. He uses the Word of God in love to restore us, to bring us back into right relationship with Him. But when the voice of the enemy speaks, speaks to us, it's done in a hateful way, always, always reminding us of what we've done in the past. One voice is for us, the other is against us. When God's Spirit convicts, we experience true repentance and forgiveness. But when a demonic spirit accuses us, we carry around heavy loads of guilt and shame and condemnation, don't we? One voice brings life, the other voice brings death. One voice offers us hope. The other voice steals hope in our lives. One voice comforts. The other condemns. And you know what? One voice says you can, and the other voice says you can't. You can't be forgiven by God. God can't forgive you. It was all your fault. Satan is a tempter, but he's also an accuser. And you know what? He doesn't just accuse us personally. He accuses God in our minds and raises up thoughts against God when bad things happen to us. He makes us wonder if God is really loving, then why? Why did he allow this to happen? If God is really all-powerful, then why? Why didn't he protect me? Why? 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 And his questions and his doubts begin to slowly undermine our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we begin to question God's power and authority and sovereignty in our lives, don't we? Because he's an accuser who not only accuses us, accuses us he accuses God to us. And you know who else he accuses? He accuses others around you in your mind. And he does it really well in the church, too. He points out all the flaws in others, all their weaknesses, everything they've done wrong. He puts critical and judgmental thoughts in your minds, and he stirs up anger and blame, causing us to point our fingers at others, even in the church, folks, which creates division, 
and disunity, strife in the body of Christ. Satan is a tempter, and he's an accuser. And that's how he takes advantage of our own humanness on this earth. But there's a third area of our humanness where Satan also attacks, and I don't like this one very much. It's in our reactions to life's hurts. Because the truth is, when we are hurt, we react, don't we? Even though the actions committed against us are hurtful enough, sometimes our reactions are even more damaging and hurtful to us inside and others around us, aren't they? We hold on to anger and to bitterness and resentment and hatred towards those who have hurt us. And sometimes we hold it inside for decades. We desire to take revenge on those who hurt us. We get angry with God. We get angry at ourselves. We turn that anger inward. We make vows. We put up false walls of protection around our hearts to ensure that no one will ever hurt us again. And we keep people at an arm's distance. We try to cope with the pain through self-destructive behaviors such as drugs and alcohol, pills, prescription meds, opioids, sexual promiscuity, cutting, eating disorders. We see these things on an everyday basis in our ministry. Because Satan loves to take advantage of our negative reactions life's hurts. It's another way he seeks to destroy us. He does this primarily through lies. And I want you to listen into this. Lies that he throws at us and tells us in our minds that sound a little like this. Nobody loves you. Your family doesn't even love you. You're worthless. You're useless. There's no place for you here. You're a failure. You're a loser. God could never use someone like you. You're too dirty, too damaged. There's no hope for you. You'd be better off dead, he tells us. And it gets even worse. No one will even notice you're gone, he tells us. Just end your life now and end your suffering. Some of you have heard those voices. Or how about this one? You have the right to be angry. After what they did to you. Or they don't deserve to be forgiven. They're all lies. And you know what? The more we believe these lies in our minds, the more power the enemy gains in our life. It can create strongholds. These negative thoughts and voices in our heads can lead us into spiritual bondage. In John chapter 8, I believe we have this scripture up on the screen. Jesus said that Satan is a liar. That there is no truth in him. Everything he tells us is a lie. In fact, Jesus goes on and says in John 8, 44, When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. It's 
who he is. His lies are ultimately intended to steal and to kill, to destroy us as God's children. And the ultimate goal of all of his lies is to get us to give up on God, to walk away from the faith, and to convince us to take our own life. The pain we experience in this life is very real, isn't it? And the spiritual battle that rages not just around us, but inside of us is real in our own humanness. And I'm going to be very vulnerable with you this morning. Because I first experienced the intensity of this battle when I was a young teenager. When my parents unexpectedly split up in divorce. Everything I had known came crashing down in my life. And shattered it to pieces. It changed everything. My family was never the same from that moment on. And it hurt me. And it confused me. And the worst thing in the midst of that is that the accuser came knocking on the door of my mind and began to tell me it was all my fault. And for a time, I believed the lie that it had been something I had done to cause mom and dad to separate. And I internalized the blame and the guilt and anger on myself. And there was a deep wound created in my life at that point that needed God's healing. And that healing began to come in my very first freedom session in this ministry a number of years ago when I discovered the power of forgiveness. Because forgiveness breaks chains in our lives. Unforgiveness creates chains. Forgiveness breaks chains. Amen? Amen. Satan attacks us through our humanness. He attacks our humanness through temptation. He attacks through accusation. He attacks through our negative reactions to life's hurts. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there is hope in the midst of the battle. There is hope for you and I, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And I truly believe, as God has showed me, that our hope is anchored in the incarnation of Christ. Let me explain this briefly to you. In John 1, 14, we read one of the most powerful truths in God's word, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John writes that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ took on human flesh and blood, John says, and became like one of us. I'm so glad he did. He was fully God, yes, but he was also fully human. He assumed a human body and a human soul for a period of time. This is significant for you and I because theologically speaking, that which is unassumed is unhealed. Track with me here. That which is unassumed is unhealed. In other words, if Christ didn't assume it, then he couldn't heal it. If he hadn't taken on our humanness, then he couldn't have redeemed it. Amen? That which is unassumed is unhealed. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus laid aside his divine privileges. 
He took the form of a servant and was born as a human baby. He assumed human flesh and blood to deliver us from all of our weaknesses. Amen? To deliver us from temptation, to deliver us from accusation, to deliver us from bitterness and anger and resentment and unforgiveness. Take temptation, for example. In Hebrews 4, 15, it tells us that Jesus, in his humanity, was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Without sin. Unlike the first Adam in the Garden of Eden who succumbed to temptation, Jesus Christ was victorious over temptation, wasn't he? Whereas Adam disobeyed God's word, Jesus obeyed it perfectly, didn't he? Where Adam failed, Jesus triumphed. So not only does Jesus understand temptation, he has defeated temptation. And because he won the battle over temptation, so can we. As I like to say, his victory makes possible our victory. You see that? How about the area of accusation in our lives? Jesus, in his humanity, was also accused on this earth by many people, wasn't he? He was falsely accused by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious zealots in his day. He was accused of violating the Sabbath, of breaking the Sabbath laws, of healing on the Sabbath. He was called demon-possessed, out of his mind. He was mocked and ridiculed for being called God's son, for claiming to be the king of the Jews, wasn't he? He was accused as a friend of sinners. And even when he hung on the cross, he continued to be accused when they said he saved others and he can't even save himself. What kind of king is that? Jesus understands accusation. But you know what else it says in Colossians 2, 14? He canceled the record of charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Enabling you and I to live free from condemnation. Because in Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no more condemnation in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Give me an amen. amen. That's something to celebrate as Christ's followers. There is no more condemnation under Jesus. But what about our negative reactions to life's hurts? You know, Jesus even defeated those. Consider this, as a real human being, Jesus experienced pain and hurt firsthand, just like you and I do. He was no different. He was wounded deeply. He was sinned against. He was betrayed and abandoned by close friends. Isaiah says he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He lost loved ones too and suffered intense grief when his friend Lazarus died. His body was bruised and broken. They hurled insults at him and mocked him. And they nailed him to a tree. And in 1 Peter 2 it says, but he did not open his mouth. Jesus didn't react. 
He did not retaliate. He made no threats, Peter tells us. Instead, he entrusted his case into the hands of God who judges rightly and justly. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus also understands pain. He understands suffering, the suffering you've been through. And because he was hurt and didn't react in ungodly ways, he now empowers us to react in godly ways, doesn't he? Rather than reacting in unforgiveness and bitterness, we can react in forgiveness towards those who hurt us. All because of Jesus' humanness brings deliverance and healing to our humanness. In Christ, we find our healing, don't we? Or as I like to say, His wounds... And his wholeness bring healing to our wounds and our hurts. Or as Isaiah says it, by his wounds we are healed. Satan attacks in temptation, through accusation, and through our negative reactions to life's hurts. And yes, the battle is very real. You're being reminded of that all month long. It's an invisible war. It rages all around us, but today, I'm telling you, it rages inside of us as well. You and I live in the midst of an ongoing struggle that is far greater than us, but I'm telling you, it is not greater than our God. Amen? It is not greater than our God. Jesus has overcome. In John 16, he told his disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome temptation. Jesus has overcome accusation. He has overcome hurt and pain and rejection. And he longs for us, for you and I, to experience victory in all three areas of our lives, just like he did. And so if Dr. Don would come, and I want to invite you and extend an invitation this morning to respond to that word that God has spoken to you. First of all, if you've been struggling with temptation or a nagging sin, a habitual sin that you just haven't been able to break free from, I want to invite you to come today because I want to pray for you. And we have people who will be available here to pray with you as well. It's time to let it go. And it's time to bring out the secret out of the darkness into the light of Christ, but there is freedom in the light. It's time to take off the mask and lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm done living a double life. I'm done with it. I'm going to get real with God today. Even we pastors can wear masks sometimes that need to come off so we can receive healing. And that's being spoken by a pastor this morning. But if you're being also bombarded by voices in your head, negative, critical, accusatory voices, telling us, telling you you're not good enough, not worthy, you'll never measure up, there's no hope for you, I invite you to come forward as well. It's time to renounce those lies today and to nail those accusations to the cross. And leave them there. Where Jesus took 
your shame and your guilt and your condemnation upon himself when he was nailed to a tree. And finally, if you've been hurt and you're struggling with feelings of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and you're just burning with anger inside towards somebody who hurt you, it's time to let go of the offense. It's time to let it go and give it to God. Surrender that person into Jesus' hands and do what Jesus did in trusting justice into the hands of God who judges freely. It's time to begin the process of forgiveness today so that healing can come. So I invite you to come as I pray over you and then Pastor Josh is going to come, but please come so that we can pray for you. Father, we are overwhelmed this morning by a strong sense of your presence. Your spirit has been here moving and speaking and revealing truth to our hearts, Lord. And this is a holy moment. Lord, there have been many here who have battled temptation and sin for so many years. They feel like they're stuck and they just have never experienced the victory and the freedom that you offer to your children, Jesus. Today, would it be the day of deliverance? Would it be... A day of victory over temptation and over sin. Lord, we lay down those sins. We renounce them in Jesus' name. And we give them to you. And we draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough. It's time to move from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, from deception into truth. Lord, I pray for those who have been battling voices in their heads always accusing, reminding them of the past, of all their past failures and mistakes. Jesus, would you silence the mouth of the accuser in their lives in the name of Jesus. Silence the voices, silence the hate. Jesus, we're going to take these lies and we renounce them in Jesus' name. We're going to nail them to the cross and we're going to leave them there today. And they will not define us. They will not control us. They will not influence us anymore. It is finished in Jesus' name. And I pray for those, Lord, who have been hurt by someone deeply and are just harboring anger inside. They want to get even. They don't want to forgive. But Jesus, today we're laying down our guns, laying down our weapons, and we're tired of fighting. And I'm giving you these individuals, Lord, who hurt me, and you can name them by name. Lord, I'm, I'm surrendering them to you. I'm releasing my right to revenge, and I'm releasing my anger and resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness to you. I'm going to start a new chapter in my life today, a chapter of freedom. So, Lord, would you continue to write my story? It may be a beautiful story. Your word tells us, Lord, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Show us the plans and purposes you have for our lives, Lord. Finally, Father, I pray your blessing upon this church. Would this church become a kingdom community where you raise up kingdom workers to go out and breathe light into the darkness so that they reclaim enemy territory for Jesus Christ. It all belongs to you anyway, Jesus. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're just reclaiming it. So would you
your strong hand of blessing, and I pray financial provision over this church in the name of Jesus so that one day they can rise up and say, we are debt-free. Lord, would you bless the leadership of this church. Bless Pastor Andrew and Simone and Pastor Cindy and Pastor Josh and all the staff and the board members of this church. Protect them, Jesus, by the power of your name. We lift up our prayer like bowls of incense before your throne of grace this morning, Lord. Thank you for what you've accomplished here. Continue to speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.